Hello, my name is Osereme and welcome to episode 5 of the Sword of Nigerian podcast. Sword of Nigerian is a podcast that aims to share the stories of the Nigerian diaspora living in Alberta and Canada at large. On today's episode, Victor and I got on a Zoom call to discuss all that's been going on right now. We talked about the death of George Floyd and the protests that that sparked all across the world, the intricacies of Canadian racism, whether or not Nigerians have the range to talk about race, and the importance of solidarity with Indigenous peoples in Canada's Black Lives Matter movement. Those topics and a lot more are covered on this episode, so here it is, and thank you for listening. Yo, what up? Hey, man. What's good, Danny? Good, I'm good, you know. Just... I'm your Virgil, Virgil. <laughs> <laughs> Virgil, Virgil, you know? I'm Virgil, Virgil over here. <laughs> yeah. Chilling here with social distancing. Shout Trying out to Lethbridge, Treaty 7 territory, land of the Blackfoot. You know where we at. Have you been holding up, man? I've been good, man. I've been good. Even with or without COVID, it would be, it was already going to be a, like a lot of changes, a lot of stuff going on for me. So it's just big transition, moving back from Montreal, finishing school, trying to find a job, but I'm just trying to keep perspective on things, take everything one step at a time. Yeah. You know, I've been all right. How have you been? Man, you know, I'm I'm chill, you know, I'm just trying to take it one day at a time, not get too overwhelmed with everything that's happening. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm just trying to take it one day at a time and, and figure it out and go from there. And, yeah, I'm just trying to stay positive with everything that's going on in the world right now. Um, you know, with the new reality that we're in and um, just life in general. Just doing my best to stay positive and, and yeah, keep it moving. I mean, everyone's been saying it, you know, this year has just been wild. It's been all sorts of unpredictability. Um, and it seems like whenever, you know, we're okay, there's one thing, it's on to the next. But the past few weeks, especially with, with the death of George Floyd at the hands of a Minneapolis police officer, it's been a seismic event. And, and the, the thing about that is it's, you know, it's something that's, it may, to people may seem like just one event that happened in this one specific place but but it's not no no it's not and it's been the catalyst for a lot you know there's the protests that have been going on um all across the states and canada all across the world to be honest yep. um and i think it's been powerful to watch it's been powerful to see the effect that that's had part of me wishes that a man didn't have to die like that's for what all I of keep this thinking for all of this to happen. Yeah. Um, but I think also it's it's been a thing of black people around the world standing in solidarity with George Floyd, but also speaking up as well. About their own lived experience. Uh, yeah. You know, there were protests in Toronto, there were protests all across Canada as well, where where we are. You know, the pushback is always, you know, it's not it's not bad here. That wouldn't happen here. Yeah. Um, which, first of all, it, it has and it does and it continues to to black and indigenous people all across this country. I, I attended a protest in in Calgary and it was in I felt in my heart like it was in solidarity with George Floyd and, and speaking out and hoping that our voices would be heard and, and then justice would be done. It was a means of also saying, look racism is here too this stuff happens here too and the constant oh it's not that bad here all it serves to do is just actually cover up how bad it is 
Yeah, it's such an erasure of like the experiences of black folks, indigenous folks, people of color here in Canada. I mean, I was um, I was there for the protest here in Lethbridge. I spoke at the protest here in Lethbridge. And there's this, you know, Canadian like exceptionalism to all these issues, like you mentioned on Twitter, that yeah. these things don't happen. But I'm like, it has happened to me in terms of like being, you know, discriminated against. Um, you know, the the history of carding, like here in Lethbridge or in Alberta in general, um, it's pretty prevalent. I mean, between you and I and our guy friends, like we all sit together, we all have a story or two or six yeah. of our own encounters with police for no apparent reason. And that's just one instance. Now, we're not even taking into consideration the racial slurs that you're subjected to. We're not taking into consideration the microaggressions that you go through, um, either in workplace settings or you're going out to the bar or whatever, right? You know, when we say these things don't happen in Canada or like we're not as bad, I'm like, you know what? Must be nice if you can think that. You know, must be nice that you can go through your everyday life or reality and not have to look at it through a racial lens and not you know be kind of like oblivious to those things yeah i've been reading the skin we're in by desmond cole and something he that's something he tackles a lot this this comparison between um canada and the states i've actually been thinking about it in terms of like this is like commonwealth racism because similar i saw people share kind of similar experiences in in the uk and i yeah in the uk yeah and and kind of my knowledge of australia as well so it was kind of funny like this is the commonwealth racism where it's like man the people in the uk are just going like they're just they're just going at it right now you know (laughs) i just saw them just like topple a statue i was like yo the mandems in uk shout out to them and a lot of them you know like half that crowd is probably nigerian the way the way the uk set up yeah no, but it's, it's, it's like, it's this interesting thing. And sometimes it makes me laugh. And in the book, he says this, where he's like, you're basically saying, be thankful we're not killing you. That's like what it yeah. is, where it's like, I mean, at least you're not dying. So yeah, um, we're not killing even, you at a crazy rate. Yeah. And I even saw, and, and, and that's another thing with Canada is I feel like a lot of, there's a lot of erasure of incidences yep. of racism that happen and have happened in the history of racism in this country we kind of bought into this myth of like oh we're a mosaic a multi- multicultural mosaic you know everything's yeah. nice everything's good and buying into that stops people from acknowledging the experiences and when you bring it up it's kind of like a you're rocking uh, the boat yeah and and there's yeah. this defensiveness that comes about where it's like i feel like you know it's like a canadian staple it's kind of like hockey like if you feel like like if you say something about hockey in, like it feels like you can like you you challenge in Canada, and yeah. if you say something about like the perceived notion of Canadian niceness, when you kind of like share something that's contrary to that, people feel like you're challenging the institution that is Canada. But I'm like, it's not because we hate Canada. You know, if you love something, like you know, there's room for criticism. Yeah, and from that comes improvement. Exactly. I want this to be a place where everyone can live. Yep. I want this to be a place where we all actually can not just live but thrive. So, so it's when people call out, you know, instances of racism, especially the the structure on which this country country was built, 
on oppression of indigenous peoples and i think as immigrants as well there's this kind of annoying sentiment that people are like oh you have you should just be grateful you should be mm-hmm. thankful that you're here yep. um you should be thankful that you're allowed to be here which yep. is kind of nuts because you should be thinking immigrated here also it's like you should be thanking us like if it, if it wasn't for immigrants this country wouldn't work yep. literally like you, the birth rate is so low that you need people to come here and like and it's so crazy like what you bring to the like what like people bring to like the workforce too right and the quality of life like i mean how many people like look at all like the you know all the cuisine that you get to enjoy yeah like come on like how how, how are you going to sit bash immigrants and then go get falafel afterwards i know you should be ashamed of yourself i, I want some hummus you know? <laughs> but yeah there's this there, there's all that man. that feeling of oh you know it's not so bad it's you know you should just be quiet about it and it, and it was even a, a sentiment i saw shared by politicians shared by people online and it really breaks my heart because it, it's and that's the issue is when trying to talk about race in Canada, I feel like the, the U.S. is almost even better off because they will actually have the conversation, even if it's like, I don't know how to explain this. In Canada, it's, it's, we, don't, we don't talk about race. No. We just don't. So it becomes a situation where we're just not acknowledging things. We're moving around them and the problem persists but we've bought into this myth and we're not talking about it it's just so oh, you know everyone's welcome here everything's great but that's not the reality and that's not what people are experiencing every day you know i we both have worked in positions where we we had to deal with i was working with with newcomers and and you know you're working um dealing with anti-racist stuff and and the the stories and the stuff you would see and hear and have to deal with um when people are visible minorities is is heartbreaking and we know these things too because we've lived them but it's just having to see the way like you know kids i've i've heard story, little girls in hijabs get getting flipped off stuff like that and and okay if we're pointing this out you should you should be asking yourself if someone's pointing this out why is your first response to be defensive instead of wanting to hear out what's going on you know and see how we can fix it and i'm always like a big believer in like if the shoe fits go ahead put it on right why are you twerking so hard <laughs> to like defend these things it's like people will like literally go out of their way to defend injustices i'm like really like why are you twerking so hard bro like stop twerk like just stop <laughs> and listen for once and address it you know, I think I was just talking about this the other day with my sister too, like when, and this is a different topic for a different day that we can address. Like when we talk about like not all men, when yeah. people come out here and be like, oh, not all men. I'm like, yo, if the shoe doesn't fit, why are you trying to fit it? Like, why are you trying <laughs> to put it on? Like, relax, relax. Why are you feeling defensive when people bring up these issues and they want to come out here and say not all men? Like, sit down, bro, sit down. Yeah. Unless it applies to you. If it applies to you, then do better. When it comes to this issue of, you know, we're talking about, you know, Black Lives Matter, all that stuff. And people keep, you know, trying to like come come at it with like Blue Lives Matter or All Lives Matter and all that stuff. I'm like, at this point in time, this thing has been explained 
so many times, multiple times. If you're not getting it, you're either being purposefully dense or you're just callous. Yeah. Like there's no there's no way in hell like you just can't understand this anymore. Like yeah. it has been explained multiple times. People are out here drawing stick figures trying to explain it. People <laughs> you know are me? using band-aid illustrations to try so and explain. So many analogies. It. All uh-uh. the analogies. And at this point you don't understand it. Bruh, I just feel like you're just intentionally dense or you're callous. There's no there's no way you can't tell me like this is not straightforward to understand. And it's so yeah. crazy too, like, you know, when I look at my own existence and my own reality in terms of being aware of, like, societal issues from a young age, like, growing up outside, because, like, you know, as a kid in Nigeria, you don't think about race. No. Like, no. you know, I left Nigeria when I was, like, a, like, seven or eight years old. You know, it wasn't something I was thinking about. You know, when I left Nigeria, I was like, yeah, I'm going abroad. Yeah, life is going to be good. Yep, I'm going to be chilling. You know what I mean? Yeah. You think everything is all nice and rosy until like your first day of school, second day of school, fourth day, fourth week. You're like you're one of like few black kids in your school. And then you start like seeing that, oh, there is this thing called racism. Yeah, like it's I, wild. I think for me, like living in Nigeria until I was 13, you know, I only, I only left when I was 13. Like I wasn't very aware of race. You don't think about it because I mean, we have our divisions, we have tribe, ethnicity, have tribalism that, and stuff like that. in Nigeria. Yeah. But, yep. but race was not really something that I would, I would think of. And so yep. like when I eventually left Nigeria, I actually, I feel like even to this day, that is giving me like a weird relationship with racism because sometimes I'll just laugh and it's it's like almost ridiculous to me how just you're just like what you know so it's when certain things just happen to you and you're kind of like flat like flabbergasted like it's so shocking because like I'm just gonna share from my own personal experience for a bit right it's one thing you know like leaving Nigeria at such a young age like you know you're trying to assimilate where you're at right you're trying to assimilate with popular culture and you know you want to be accepted you just want to chill you just want to make friends and stuff like that as like an eight nine year old kid when people are like saying things about your hair or saying things about like oh you know you should scrub harder so that you can be lighter and stuff like that you know what i mean like those little like microaggressions as little kids and then you go home to your parents right and you say like mom and dad um, <laughs> this is what's at, like, what do I do? You know what I mean? Yeah. And it feels like, you know, this was something that they didn't really have to deal with growing up. And for them to like, on the fly, you know, at first they're like, you know, if they make fun of you, make fun of them back. I'm like, it's, it's different when like, you're the only one standing yeah. against like a group of people. Right. So yeah. it's, it's no, it's just one of those things. Like, you know, sometimes I, there's some things people say, I think over time I built resilience towards it, but there's some things that people say that I'm like, what in the hell are you smoking You know, for you to like think that way? For me, I remember my first, my first kind of, not my, I mean, I literally remember the first time someone called me the N word because I was standing on the, at a bus stop and someone was just driving by or like biking by or something. And they just said it, like, in passing. And I was confused. Like, I was legitimately confused because I was just like, 
okay. Um, but then going to school and having experiences of people making jokes about you because of your your race. The the thing is, I had never really thought of myself as like. I mean, I knew I was black. Obviously, everyone you know you're black, but but yeah. you don't know what that means in the same way that other people do. So other people imprint certain things onto you. Yep, they expect you to act and talk a certain way. Yeah. So for me, it was like basketball. People were like, mm. "Oh, you're not good at basketball. How are you not good at basketball?" And I was like, "I played soccer my whole life. Like, I don't understand." Or people being like, "Oh, you like fried chicken?" Ha ha ha. And I was like, "I mean." I guess, like, everyone likes chicken. Yeah, it's who chicken. doesn't like, like fried chicken? It's chicken or, you know, watermelon jokes and stuff like that. Because or even blackness... things like, even like hip-hop, right? Like, if you don't know the lyrics to some, like, public enemy song, <laughs> and people be like, how come you don't know? How come you don't know this? How come you, I'm like, how come you don't know Bone Thugs and that? I'm like, shut the hell up. Like, yeah. that doesn't really change my blackness. You know, like, people like, they use slurs and their microaggressions and say like, oh, this, 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 and that. And then they expect you to act in a certain manner and perform your blackness in a certain manner. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? No, exactly. And that's part of the issue is people don't understand that there's, there's not one way to be black. There's, there's a million, a billion blacknesses. And part of racism is collapsing all of those identities, you know, and ignoring and erasing all of those identities but just just having to learn and then become aware of racism and and kind of understand how to deal with it like I'd actually never even what you said about parents having to learn how to deal with it on the fly Uh but it's an interesting experience to have um going from a place where that's not really something that that's considered or that's not really something that's at the top of your mind to yep. and and it's not necessarily like oh you move somewhere and then you kind of become aware of it it's that people will make you aware of it they, they will you. force it on you yep yep and it's it's like you know it becomes like a default thing that you know you yourself if it wasn't in your purview people will put it in your purview if you just want to mind your business people will make it your business and and, and on the, the flip side of that is part of why often we get you get defensiveness when it comes to letting white people know about racism is they're not racialized in the same way no so for them it's just like i'm xyz person and, and that's it but race is not in their lens of viewing things because it's they're considered the default yep you know whiteness became a default and then it's like whiteness and then everything else Whereas, and that's kind of problematic, though. Like, you know, when you make something like the default or the norm, right, anything else that doesn't appear that way is seen as deviant yeah. and criminalized or demonized, yeah. right? Like, I was just, I was just reading, um, uh, I think it was Iowa, Iowa's football program, and players were speaking out because they said the way that the culture of the team was things and and that's the thing is they people would see this as oh they're like this is our culture that that was the whole thing this is our culture you know you have to fit in our culture but that culture was very repressive towards blackness and it was very you know players were saying they couldn't they didn't feel comfortable they couldn't even walk around practice facility with their cornrows because that has now that now has negative connotations you know, which is just, it's just a hairstyle, but now it's like, oh, if you have this hairstyle, X, Y, Z is associated with you 
if you yep. if you talk a certain way this is just negative not understanding how repressive that can be bringing back to canada i think that's the same way often that racism can work here yep. is that those defaults will will almost choke choke, choke life you, out of you you know and like i don't know if you know about akim aliu the hockey player yeah how he was like sharing his story from playing junior hockey and stuff like that and how you know it could be from like him just like listening to rap music or to whatever and literally being demonized for that and the adverse effects like that has on that it had on his mental health and like the thing is like the moment even like the culture like like the hazing for example and him saying like no I'm not gonna like participate in this right and sometimes you know like I've I've been given that label before on on sport teams as being like a troublemaker the moment you don't go with that quote unquote culture that is put in place that is seen as a def- I'm like yo I don't like I think this is nonsense like I'm not going to do it and then you're seen as a troublemaker oh you're not being a part of the team you're not this 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 and that oh like why do special rules have to apply to you I'm like it's not special rules it's just common decency shut the hell up you know what i mean <laughs> it's heartbreaking to think about like you know at this point in time this is still an issue that we're still fighting and if we ever have kids it might still be an issue they're fighting too right yeah i was listening to i haven't read his book but ibram x kendi who wrote how to be anti racist i was listening to this podcast that he was a guest on where they were basically going through his reading list and what what he was reading at the time and he was talking about it one of the things he mentioned in regards to one of the books is racism evolves in lockstep with anti-racism so it changes and it finds new forms and that's that's kind of where the issue lies is that people feel like if you're not called a racial slur if there's no physical violence that then there's no racism uh-huh but they don't understand the the kind of ways that it can evolve into into this non acceptance of who you are you know it, you, a lot of black kids talk about especially in in the kind of places we've lived you talk people talk about like having to kind of suppress their blackness a bit yep. to to fit in because not fitting in means <laughs> means you're going to have to deal with um all sorts of microaggressions and even when you you do still try to fit in it's and and that's the thing as well is people feel like there's no racism because we've got so a lot of us have got so used to just just getting on with it because you yep. know if you if you're on a team and you bring something up if you're in a workplace and you bring something up if you're in a classroom and you bring something up that that may label you that may affect you adversely that may affect your opportunities may affect your chances yep um you'll be rocking that boat so yep people don't really speak up and yep. then a lot of people go through their lives thinking well no everything's fine and i think also the the idea is like being anti-racist doesn't mean that you will never do anything bad it doesn't mean you will at least this is my my opinion you you're raised in a system and you're raised in a culture that operates a certain way so unlearning is a process it's not something that happens in one day so on both sides it's one keep learning and keep trying your best and listen when people say hey this this is something that I've done wrong and two you can't just label yourself an ally mm. you, know, mm. you can't just be like well I'm not a racist 
so I don't do anything racist. It's like, no, no, mm. you, you might still screw up. And if someone tells you you did, listen to them. Don't, don't take that label and then just run with it, you know? Mm. I feel like people are too concerned about being labeled racist than actually dismantling systemic racism and racism as a whole. You know, it's like, it's like people like, you know, it comes up and they're like, people just get super defensive as opposed to like, okay, you know, how did I misstep or what did I do? You know how I feel about the term ally in the first place, because you and I did that, you know, workshop um, that one time talking about allyship. You know, it sounds super convenient. It's super convenient. Even with the whole Black Lives Matter protests and stuff like that, you know, as it was even happening here in Lethbridge, there were folks that are quote-unquote allies to diversity, inclusion, equity, all that stuff, that were like, maybe a protest is not a good idea. Um, Like, you've been calling yourself an ally this whole time, and now it's time for you to show up, and you're like, "Um, we shouldn't do it this way, or we shouldn't do it that way. And I'm like, why are you... Why are you calling yourself an ally when it's time to show up and you ain't there, right? Exactly. So, you know, it's just one of those things. I mean, I want to go back to one of the things that you brought up earlier, like kids kind of like suppressing their blackness. Say, for example, I'll use us Nigerians for an example, right? As a Nigerian, like you're raised in a Yoruba home, Igbo home, you know, like whatever, like that's how you were raised, right? Yeah. And then you move, you leave Nigeria. Right. And it's almost like being Nigerian and Yoruba, it's pitted against being black. Do you know what I mean? In the sense that you have this upbringing and then you're seen like you expected to behave a certain way because you're black. And then you learn more about blackness as time goes on and you have all these different factors playing in. And it's almost like a push, pull and shove in terms of your own self-identity that you know you have to navigate and stand up for yourself in some way shape or form if that makes sense i'm trying to (laughs) okay so you know coming from nigeria for example you know you have like you know you're raised in whatever like your own traditional tribal beliefs and stuff like that you have your nigerian whatever and then you move to canada and then people say like oh no this is what it looks like to be black okay i see and you're like well this okay for example like yourself you grew up playing soccer and then you come here and people say well you're black you should be able to play basketball right and then as time goes by you know you find ways to try to redefine your own blackness and be comfortable in that and it's always just like kind of like this thing of being comfortable within your identity and creating your own identity and kind of like having that own sense of agency your Nigerian parents expect you to act a certain way. Society expects you to act a certain way. And then, you know, you're like, you know what? This is actually who I am. Yeah. No, I think it's, you know, you get to a point where you're like, I'm comfortable in my blackness. I think that's from the podcast. What's her name's podcast? It's called Jalof something. But they always say that, you know, your blackness is enough. And it's true because identity is something that as much as it's driven by society or it's driven by social pressures it's also self and so it's learning how to figure out yeah that who am i and eventually hopefully getting the space to define yourself in a way that's comfortable for you and in a way that not doesn't make you feel like you have to pick you know you need to pick one way yeah yeah yeah, and i think this is also a thing with um i guess it's, it's part of the whole third culture thing where you know you're 
from one place or you know and then you grow up some another place and and you kind of end up developing your own culture in a way mm-hmm. and and then with race like blackness is imprinted on top of that as well i guess one thing that um i saw a bit of was um you know john boy guy the actor, yeah, the actor of star wars fame was really vocal um and has been a, a big voice uh in in the wake of protests in the uk and in in challenging racism in the uk especially well it started with him you know tweeting about it a lot which is a really big move from someone who's the face of such a big franchise yep and one thing i noticed though that (laughs) there were a lot of nigerians in his mentions (laughs) a lot of nigerians in his mentions you know talking about um racism and dropping their hot takes and i tweeted something about it and i said and someone uh, i think uh shout out to pierre he replied and you know he said this is something we should talk about actually because i'm really vocal that about nigerians outside of nigeria we need to not saying can't speak on things back home but we need to check ourselves when we speak on things back home knowing that especially if you've been away for an extended period of time knowing that we might not understand everything in the same way we think we do so I, I tweeted that the same way I say that is the same way I want Nigerians in Nigeria to check themselves when yep. they speak about racism. And it's not it's not a beef thing. It's just as as the kids say, you might not have the range. No, exactly. You for just discussion. don't. Yo, like sometimes, like yo, there's this dude on Twitter too. He's like he's Nigerian. I think he's in Baltimore or something like that. Is in the states. And this dude, anytime he tweets about Trump, he's like, yo, the GOP Lagos chapter. Please sit this one out. Like. <laughs> <laughs> It's always funny seeing that. I didn't know we had Democrats and Republicans in Nigeria, but we I do. swear, it's like the GOP Lagos chapter. Please sit this one out. And it's crazy because, like, I mean, the same way, like, you know, when it comes to certain issues in Nigeria that I'm, unless, like, it's really, really super clear cut, I try not to speak on a lot of things because I'm like, I'm not there. I don't know what your reality is. I haven't been there in, like, 20 years. I don't know yeah. what you're going through. So yeah. I don't know. But then people want to pipe up about, like, things with racism and say, like, well, you know, this and this and that. And I'm like, just just shut up. Like, you've never lived it. I think we, we had touched on this a little bit when we did the episode with Baria because we mentioned uh, the importance of learning about where you, you find yourself. You know, learning the histories of the places you find yourself yep. because... A lot of Nigerians who move to other countries, you have to realize, are were self-selected. In order for my family to move to Canada, we had to show that they had education, yep. they understood the language, yep. they had some level of financial credibility. You know, credibility that they could sustain themselves at least for a little bit. And obviously, you know, there's the narrative of like my, my parents came to this country with nothing. And Bootstrap. it is true to some extent, but it's it's yep. mostly we don't see the we don't see the things that we do come with. And then the the funny thing is the reason why we're able to do many of the things we can do in places like the U.S., even in Canada, is because people like in the States, especially African-Americans fought for the rights to do that, to do that. And then like we benefit from that work. <laughs> Hella benefit. We, we benefit from that. So it, it's it's kind of we t- have this ahistorical take where it's like, well, Auntie Sikira came to Houston and after five years, she bought house. Like, what so, are you? And, like, and people don't talk about, like, you know, generational trauma. That is something that 
when you move into the states for example from nigeria that's something that you're not dealing with compared to like you know the african-american population there and i think it was going on there was a huge argument about it on twitter one time i forgot who it was but she went on the break breakfast um show whatever with Charlemagne the god yeah. and those mandems and she was like you know nigerians are very like driven people you know it's like you know we're only in competition with ourselves blah blah blah, blah. she said some things and people fired back at her saying that the reason why even though like she's like well like you know i'm a black person too but i'm like i'm finding ways to thrive like it's just like a nigerian mentality thinking but people fired at her and say like you know it's because of the civil right like civil rights icons that fought got hosed down got arrested got beat up got killed that you're able to come here and be and be out here like you know saying like oh i'm doing this i'm doing this i'm doing that what's your excuse you know what I mean? Like, we're not talking about, like, the intergenerational trauma these people go through. And I think studies have shown that I think it takes about six generations to get over the effects of trauma. Like, it takes about six generations. So I'm like, come on. I think we really suffer from a lack of learning history. And this is also not to say that every every Nigerian thinks like this, but no. I've seen the sentiment a lot. And even as well in Canada with Indigenous people you know, people not understanding the history of violence and the continued physical and also structural violence that yep. pe- like indigenous people go through in, in Canada and are just like, oh, well, we moved here. We, you know, we were able to do this and we were able to do that and do that. I, I think just, just having this kind of ahistorical take on things is really, really damaging. Yep. And it's important for us to learn. And it's important for us to also understand where our privileges are you know read watch stuff learn about people who've come before us the experiences that of those that have come before us like because looking at stuff from just a a very like present lens we rob so much context we we lose so much context of, of how exactly things have happened for a lot of nigerian immigrants that's that's where they lose they lose context in just seeing the present day and not understanding the history history of things yeah and i also feel that you know sometimes like you know this is something that that i've noticed just personally you know sometimes like when you move here we're also talking about the you know that white default right like you want to assimilate into like mainstream society you want to be accepted by mainstream society and things like a lot of the ideologies that mainstream society has ends up seeping into your own mindset and you accept it as the norm without actually challenging it you know i always i always you know say this i've been saying this for years i'm like are you fighting for equality or are you fighting for an equal opportunity to be oppressive right Mm. Because a lot of those same mindsets and you, you start seeing people that are visible minorities adopting that mindset. And you think like, yo, you should be able to understand issues like truth and reconciliation. You should be able to understand this. But when you're so focused on being accepted by mainstream culture and a default society, in many occasions, you end up adopting a lot of their mindsets on these issues. And that's why, like what you said, like, you know, learning about the history of the places that you're at, knowing about the history goes a long way in, dis- in like dismantling a lot of those myths and misinformations that we learn when we're trying to assimilate in a new country. Yeah, no, exactly. It can be very difficult to 
to think about a lot of this stuff because it feels very heavy it feels very personal discussing about racism it's not it's not necessarily just a concept it's it's something that we have experiences with even in, in having empathy for other people and the two sides where on the one hand i'm like i need to do something beyond the personal like what i do in my personal life already yeah. how am i an accessory to structural change and then on the other hand you're also like this is a lot mm-hmm. i need to preserve my own mental, mental health, health my own well-being i was in a space where i was just reading everything and i'm the kind of person that i'm going on to the next side of twitter you know that other side of twitter yeah oh yeah i know see, what you're talking about i'm trying to see what people are saying i'm trying i know to, what you're to, talking about and even taking knowledge in, but then you're not giving yourself time to process. And it gets to this point where it's overwhelming. So I'm trying to, in my own personal life, find the balance between those two. Those two worlds, yeah. You know, doing anti-discrimination work, I found myself, you know, going down a rabbit hole and, you know, seeing elements and entities that I, you know, that just wasn't good for my mental health. You know what I mean? Like, it'll make you jaded and it'll make you tired, it'll make you angry, all that stuff. And again, you're only one person, right? I find that, you know, at least recently, what I've been doing is trying to amplify the voices of the people on the front lines. You know, I feel like that's something that we can all do. Like, I'm not an expert on indigenous matters, right? But how can I help amplify that, right? How can I help bridge a gap here and there? Even things like the Black Lives Matter that's happening. I'm like, I don't necessarily need to be at the front and center of everything yeah but those that are on the front lines what advice can i give them in terms of like organizational structure um yeah how can i help mediate where can i stand in the gap understanding my own my own individual privileges my own skill sets yeah and saying like okay i can offer this to help you leverage a better outcome there was actually something interesting that i saw It was an article and I sent it to a few people, but it was written by a woman named Deepa Iyer and it was uh, my role in a social change ecosystem. And so it listed a few different roles that people can take in any kind of movement in a social change ecosystem and trying to figure out that, hey, like you said, like you don't necessarily have to be the one on the front lines. Mm -hmm. And it listed a a few roles, builders, visionaries, disruptors, caregivers, frontline responders, bridge builders, Mm -hmm. storytellers. Just understanding that not everyone, you know, you're not going to be the person on stage at the protest, mm-hmm. but that doesn't necessarily mean you're not part and understanding that, like you said, we all have our skill sets. We all have our, our areas of expertise. Um, we all have things that we're better suited towards doing. And also depending on the situation and the issue, we might feel more comfortable in different roles. That was something that I saw that actually helped give me some perspective on kind of how we can best be be useful and best be effective but also i just wanted to briefly touch on something this is this is the first like we're really having a conversation it's, it's it feels it's been like a while. Just, yeah so we're just kind of bouncing around but something that i also wanted to talk about was relating to indigenous issues in canada because i was at the protest and it was really powerful because there were a lot of people it might sound weird but in a way it feels like especially in Canada, Black Lives Matter. I hope people don't ever crucify me for this. This is the kind of thing you say, and in five years, someone's going to bring it up. But in a way, it feels like Black Lives Matter is a more sexy movement, Mm. especially in a Canadian context, because it's very visible. It's very, like, worldwide. So I feel 
it, it's easy for people to, I shouldn't say the word being easy, but a lot of people, and it comes back to the thing of being an, you know, allyship versus being an accomplice and being an active participant. People can post, you know, people might show up, yep. but I, I posted something where I was like, a lot of people will very easily say Black Lives Matter, but then actively participate in anti-Indigenous racism in Canada. Yep. Yeah, th- yeah, th- yeah, that is something that beats me because like, I almost feel like in a Canadian sense, when we talk about Black Lives Matter, we cannot really talk about Black Lives Matter without talking about Indigenous Lives Mattering too. Yeah. Like, yeah. I just don't think we can separate the two, in my opinion, um, because we're talking about a systemic issue. Um, exactly. And when we look at the way the system is built, the system was built from the start of residential schools to like, you know, the way the foster care system works nowadays, it was built to disenfranchise indigenous kids from their culture and their heritage and their own identity. So like when we're talking about Black Lives Matter in a Canadian sense, I feel like we can't talk about, and this was like an argument that I was actually having the other day too, was folks that did not understand that if we're going to talk about Black Lives Matter in Canada, we need to talk about Indigenous Lives Mattering too. And they yeah. felt like, oh, why can't we just talk about just the Black Lives Matter? I'm like, no, we can't. Like, in a Canadian sense, we cannot separate the two. And that's not necessarily saying we should speak for Indigenous people, but also the thing of amplifying, right? So yeah. if if we see that we have a platform that people are listening to, because it's something that really struck me when I first moved here was how prevalent and common anti-Indigenous racism was. Like, so common. And it's like, people don't even think of it as racism. They just, they'll say whatever, they'll discriminate, you know, and people will be, and it used to shock me because I'm like, bro, you think I, look at me, do you think I would be cool like it? cool with this? Like, no. And this is again, the thing of histories and stories history of anti-black racism is not in Canada is not as well known or as well documented, documented and especially yeah. when when it's compared to the US all the time people feel more comfortable in those spaces mm-hmm. I feel they feel more comfortable being like oh you know even if you're admitting it's bad at least we still weren't as bad as the US but anti-indigenous racism really when you're really considering it it calls for us to look in the face of the country look this country in the eye and say we're we're fucking up we and like really really understand that the myth of nation building that's been undergone is exactly that a myth and there there's like a huge there's a whole group of people who've not been included in in the same ways again back to the thing of yes there's there's racism against all sorts of groups in canada but we really need to like it's it's so anti-indigenous racism is literally the the backbone of of this country that's like what it was built on on taking indigenous land you know like we have we have places like like cardston i haven't even done a fact check but i'm pretty sure this is correct that's it's literally a lease it's leased yeah i think they leased it for like 99 years or 99 years yeah the lease has run out but people are not leaving right it was a lease so so it's like in order to combat any racism in this country we also like we really need to have those conversations as well so and i think i understand that people might feel like like two parts where it's on the one hand if we're speaking about a specific issue we do need to like make sure we we, you know if it's black Lives matter let's deal with that in depth and also i don't want indigenous issues to become a tag along right i don't want Mm -hmm. it to become a the side of fries that comes with our meal but i do want it to be a conversation that's always acknowledged um especially if you're talking about police brutality in canada if you're talking bruh don't even get me started bruh bruh 
and that's what like you know i think i mean i can't i'm not sure about every protest that has happened in canada so far but i'm sh- like for the most part like at least with the protests that happened here in lethbridge it was black lives matter and we were also acknowledging like hey indigenous lives matter too like hey like this is this is a platform for us to amplify this thing yeah. right here now, right? It's And it's not like, and some people will be like, well, let's just center on like the Black Lives Matter. And like I said earlier, in Canada, at least you cannot really separate the two when we're talking about a systemic issue. And I also feel like, you know, we have our own individual moments of like centering our own selves. Like we have Black History Month and they, did, like, they have like Truth and Reconciliation Month. It's not like we're hijacking or like they're hijacking our movement or we're hijack- no, it's not a hijacking. We still have those separate things, but this is like an opportunity for us to amplify each other's voices. Exactly, exactly. And yeah, it's it's just a thing of also like we can't be willfully obtuse as well, yeah. and and just be like, oh well, this is happening, and then you know that's the whole point of intersectionality is looking at yeah. at yeah. the way the way all of these things connect. Um, and you're right because if we're really getting down to the root of dealing with structures mm-hmm. we need to effectively look at the whole we can't we can't just say we're focusing on the car tires and not talk about the axle like we're, we're, yep. we gotta you know really consider everything yep. um but what i would encourage everyone to do is to shameless plug we posted some books on our instagram you know sort of nigerian check those out um and just just try your best to to learn um educate yourself man educate yourself on and, and it and, and also it's not necessarily just about educating yourself about racism but engage with non-white stories in canada you know uh-huh. read books from people with diverse experiences in canada listen to music from people with diverse experiences, watch documentaries, movies about mm-hmm. all of these different things so that... Stop listening the... to Rebel Media. <laughs> <laughs> if you listen to Rebel Media, you probably aren't even listening to this right now. <laughs> but if you do, please stop. Them yeah. just, those guys are just... They're they, different. Different they, breed. I, I'm like, I'm, I'm caught between like, they actually believe what they say or they know it's gonna make it's what makes the money so they i don't, I don't even know don't if they know. make money because bro they got know, like, I'm, oh i'm sure they do i'm sure they do like you'd be surprised like, man like the base they're trying to appeal to those guys those guys got checks you know <laughs> so bro. i mean like i think you know as we're rounding up here like i want people to like understand at least we want people to understand that you know if we want to talk about freedom and justice and whatever if it's not accessible to everybody, then it's not freedom and justice at all, right? So if you're fighting for like, oh, you want freedom, we want justice, we want this, we want that, make sure you're making sure that freedom and justice is accessible to everyone. Uh, if not, you're just an elitist. And I'm just going to call it as it is. You're an elitist. You just want to be equally oppressive. That's it. You just want to see that the oppressor's stable. Yeah, and um, if we're saying... Black Lives Matter, um, Indigenous Lives Matter, Black yep. Trans Lives Matter, Black Queer Hell Lives yeah. Matter. Hell yeah. Um, so we can't... And if you don't like that, you can come find us. If you don't like that, <laughs> just just unsubscribe. <laughs> unsubscribe, you could go no. like... 
Thanks, folks, for tuning in, listening to us. It's good to see you, Danny. It's been a while. I see you got the COVID stubble. You know, I actually even shaved a little bit, but a little bit. <laughs> but, you know, it's, I'm enjoying it. I'm, I'm. I just got facial hair like two years ago, so I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but thanks a lot, folks, um, for tuning in. Um, we appreciate y'all. It's your boy Vic from Treaty Seven Territory down here in Lethbridge home of the Blackfoot, land of the Blackfoot. Appreciate you guys for tuning in. Um, follow us on social media. Um, we appreciate your support so far. And yeah, you know, keep keep striving to improve yourself and striving to improve your community. Um, we appreciate it, every single one. You want to give any shout outs? Uh, I guess I just also want uh, uh, to say some Canadian names as well. Um, rest in peace to Regis Corchensi Paquette. Rest in peace to Andrew Loku. We have we have our own stuff. We have our own issues to deal with. So let's just look him in the face, guys. But I deal with it. Shout out to all the black women out there that are taking the lead on these issues. Shout out to y'all. Shout out to y'all, man. Amen. Shout out to y'all. I we're signing off, folks. Take care. Um, shout out DJ Kirpo, um on direct tape um, for the work he's doing. And yeah, and shout out to you too, Danny. Put my bra on one strap at a time like everybody else. Hi, <laughs> right, man. Take care. All right. All right. Bless up, Peace. folks. Peace.